I think a lot of the mentors, they refused the answer to the quest. They hit rock bottom and they never got back up or they never dealt with the big bad guy. There was an unfinished portion to that quest at some point in the hero's journey. They're trying to rectify their mistake in the form of this younger, more energetic, more capable, or at least somebody with more time on their side than they did. And if they can give them their knowledge and their know-how, um, but with that youth and energy, uh, maybe the combination of the two is finally what can set the world right. Welcome to Speculative Sandbox, your audio playground for creative storytellers. My name is Vicki Lawn, and each episode, I and a guest will unpack a fiction trope with an eye for character development and narrative structures. Make sure to look for Speculative Sandbox on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter, where you can join the conversation. Leave comments or questions, or let us know what other tropes we should cover. When the real world just doesn't cut it, let's get lost in a fictional one. Remember how you felt when Dumbledore fell from the Hogwarts school tower in Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince? I remember when I first read those pages years ago and couldn't believe that the author would kill off one of the most loved characters. Or do you remember when Gandalf fell from the bridge in the Fellowship of the Ring? These are just a few examples of the doomed mentor trope. And fellow writer Jonathan Carlson joins me in unpacking a few more. It's a familiar plot point and a big part of a hero's character development. Why do we like killing off our mentors? And are there ways to subvert this trope so our story feels fresh? Jonathan Carlson, that's how you say your name, right? Yep, you can call me John. Okay, well thank you for joining Speculative Sandbox. Uh, we talked prior to uh, this recording about how you're in the early stages of writing. So can you tell me a little bit about your projects and your goals? I, I did not have the means to write something for quite some time. So I was unfortunately confined to keeping track of things inside my head. Um, so as a result, there's about anywhere between five and 50 works in progress up here. Um, but my goals, I have a, I have a few that are front and center. The first thing I'm working on, it's a, it's a fan fiction uh, that's just serving as a reading exercise so I can get used to putting in the work, doing the research, planning things out, etc., and just get back into the habit of writing and putting together a big project. Um, as soon as I'm done with that, there's a gothic romance I intend to write. Uh, I'm actually dreading the amount of research I'm going to have to do on that one. There's a play I intend to write. And um, then there's, a, I guess for lack of a better term, there's a fantasy piece I intend to write that I've got some really good ideas for, but it's just missing that one thing I intend to put together. I, I hate to speak in such vague terms, but uh, uh, vagueness is about as specific as I can get sometimes. That's fine. You have a lot of ideas in your head. How do you how do you pick them apart and decide which stories to go forward? Well, I ask questions, uh, as they say, you know, the writer can be their worst critic sometimes. And 
what ends up happening is I, I just ask myself, am I going to actually do this? Is this just a good idea? And if it's not a good idea in and of itself, are there pieces of it that are a good idea? And then sometimes I can say, well, okay, this is a good part of an idea. I can put this in something else. The rest of it, eh, not so good. And How can you tell then if it's good enough? To stay? Is, it, is, is it like the magic formula in your head or is there usually something like a gut feeling that tells you this is good enough to actually keep for another project? It's, um, I guess you could say, say magic formula in the head, but it's also a question of would I be interested enough in writing it out, planning it, going through all the work? Because if I'm not interested in doing all that, I highly doubt anybody is going to take the time to read it. Because if I'm just plotting through it and I'm only half-hearted or half-minded about it, then it's, it's not worth it. And the reader's going to be able to tell that there was a lack of, or worse, no passion in what I was doing. Where would you say you are in the current manuscript you're working on right now? 50% written? No, not even 50% written. This is, uh, I'm now entering my second draft. Um, going through my first draft, um, I was able to find a lot of massive plot holes, thank goodness. And uh, now I think I'm, I have to go back fill them in but i've also discovered different avenues of plot and characters that i can expand upon and improve upon so it's become a much stronger story in its second draft and hopefully it won't require a third but i'm done outlining the the second draft or at least most of it and when i get that down i would say i'll be at least 75 percent done awesome it must feel good to be at least have that map in your head it feels good to have the map in my head. The, the problem is when you have all these different ideas, you practically want to take a can opener to your skull and just, you know, pour the ideas out on paper and just sort it out later just so you can, you know, have it all out and be done with it. Trying to remember all these great ideas I've had in the past but didn't have time to write down. And I doubt I'm the only one, but I always seem to have my best ideas just as I'm about to fall asleep. Mm-hmm. And then I'm, I'm, then I'm faced with a choice. I can go to sleep in which case I'll forget them or I can spend the next hour writing it down and going through all the possibilities there, in which case I get roughly half a night's sleep. Yeah. Or you have, do you get the classic shower thoughts where you're in the shower and you got a perfect idea and now you got to wait until you get out so you can write it down? It's been a while since I've had a classic shower thought. Um, but a lot of times, I mean, the, the shower is actually one place I can talk to myself and not sound crazy. <laughs> and I will actually talk out certain bits of dialogue or choreograph certain scenes and just kind of walk through in my head. And I'll actually just I'll just walk around the, the shower talking to myself. And by then I have an idea of what I'm going to write. So I don't really need to write anything down. I, I'd like to think I have a good memory that way. So it's not so much I need to write it down as I've seen it played out in my head. So the doomed mentor trope is well linked to the hero's journey, where a hero gets a call to action. They can't quite succeed on their own until they meet a mentor, someone who can raise them up, teach them the ways of their heroism, um, and sends them out into the world to, to finish the adventure. But... For some reason, the hero cannot truly embark on their own and win the day unless something tragic happens to the mentor. 
This allows the hero to rise into their heroic status while also providing us some emotional incentive and motivation for to want them to complete their task. And we all have a good cry about it. So what do you think of the Doom Mentor trope? Um, well, uh, your description, I don't think Joseph Campbell himself could have put it better. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I think it's, I hate to say it, it's become almost a hackneyed premise and cliche. Mm-hmm. Um, it's... It, the, the medium of the storytelling it almost always boils down to television and film now. And there's only enough screen time and dialogue to go around. You're focused on the hero or heroine. Here comes the mentor. And yes, they're strong and admirable. And they embody everything that the main character wants to be or needs to be. But they're not the star. Mm-hmm. So they're going to have to get bumped off out of the way in some way or another, which will cause the main character, the hero in this journey to have to rise up or in some cases even hit rock bottom before they can rise up. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to continue on with the journey stronger than before. And it also does... Um, it also does an interesting thing where there's a term in professional wrestling called putting someone over where if the mentor goes down to the big, bad, evil guy, now the big, bad, evil guy, he's even big, he's even bigger, badder, and more evil. So the mentor puts over the evil guy as an even bigger threat, which makes our hero have faced even more unbelievable circumstances, makes their journey even bigger and makes their improvement, you know, even more daunting in the face of this wicked adversary. And like I said, it's become a little bit cliche, but at the same time, I don't think we're getting sick of it. No. Anytime soon either. I mean, we, we don't go, you know, I mean, how many people are going to see a slasher movie? They, they know what's coming, but they're not tired of it. Mm-hmm. And they keep pumping them out. So if something's good, why change it? Is that technique that you're talking about, that strategy, is that a way to explain why the mentor doesn't just go solve the problem themselves? <sighs> There's a way as well. I think, um, the, the, you know, it's interesting when you put it that way. I think that you know, going back to the Joseph Campbell reference of the hero's journey, um, the hero always refuses the the quest call. Mm-hmm. They're beckoned to go on this adventure, and they always almost refuse it at first. Usually then the mentor comes in, gives them the knowledge, the know-how, the will, and then they, they cross the threshold. I think a lot of the mentors they refuse the answer to the quest or they hit rock bottom and they never got back up or they never dealt with the big bad guy. There was an unfinished portion to that quest at some point in the hero's journey. So now they're trying to, um, sorry, vicariously through the hero. 
Not that, yes, they're trying to live vicariously through the hero, but they're they're trying to rectify that mm-hmm. as if they, they um rectify was the word I was looking for. They're trying to rectify their mistake in the form of this younger, more energetic, more capable, or at least somebody with more time on their side than they did. And if they can give them their knowledge and their know-how, um, but with that youth and energy, uh, maybe the combination of the two is finally what can set the world right. Okay, so it's very much a character development for the mentor themselves, especially when you talk about them. It's like starting the story for them from rock bottom to their final resolution, whereas the hero, you get the full cycle story. Yes, I mean, if I think when, when you mentioned the Doom Mentor trope to me, and I think if the second you say Doom Mentor, the first name that comes to a lot of people's minds is Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yes. And we know his story. If you haven't seen the Star Wars films, you know, he was a mentor to at first Anakin Skywalker, who becomes Darth Vader. And he does not finish Anakin in, in the, uh, the, the fires of uh, Mustafar, but he just kind of leaves him there. The dark side is not defeated and it festers into the empire. And, you know, Anakin of course is allowed to be resurrected as Darth Vader and continue his evil as a Sith Lord. Whereas had Obi-Wan just, you know, sucked it up and finished him there, maybe the world's a less evil place. No, the empire is not defeated, but he could have saved a lot of people's lives. And I think he knows that. Mm -hmm. And so when he comes across uh, Luke Skywalker again, who's finally, you know, a, a grown up that, you know, he can, you know, train or at least trust that his, you know, Anakin's son will take the right path. I can bestow wisdom on him. I can set him to do the right thing and restore balance to the force, even to the point of sacrificing himself. Then I, I think that was kind of the penance he saw not only doing the right thing, but letting himself be killed as, as, uh, trying to make up for his actions and he doesn't really die so much as he just becomes one with the force and he just becomes sort of a, a ghost the rest of the saga mm-hmm. star wars really likes their doomed mentor trope because you have obi-wan kenobi luke skywalker later in, yes in the sequel trilogies and then you have qui-gon jinn who you come to rely on him he's your mentor and then he gets smoked at the end of, yeah. of the phantom menace yes it, yeah they it, it, george lucas definitely was a has his whole archetype is is the hero's journey the the you know that never-ending circle that encompasses the hero's journey and every and one one person we didn't mention is han solo oh right yes who who practically i mean it's it's almost a volleyball serve in that seventh film you know because you've got you've got Finn and Ray watching almost from balcony seats. There's literally a spotlight in darkness between Han Solo and Kylo Ren, Ben Solo, whatever you want to call him. And you, you're literally just going, he's going to die now. Yeah. And of course he, and of course he is killed. And, but his death is instrumental later on in that, in that recent trilogy. But I mean, it's, 
you know, it, it was it was almost that that cliche I was referring to. It's like uh, he's going to die now. And that was even without knowing, you know, Harrison Ford been asking to been killed off in the past two films. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it, it was a, a perfect setup to 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 provide motive for not only Kylo Ren, but also uh, Daisy Ridley's character. Yeah, Ray. Ray, yes. My gosh, I should know this stuff. <laughs> My brain goes blank when I'm talking about it. <laughs> what are uh, what are some other doomed mentor examples that you could think of? Another one, I, you know, the poster child of doomed mentors for me is Gandalf. I know that he yeah. comes back later, but yeah, the, well, he's a doomed he's he's a doomed mentor in the fact that yes, that he starts things off as doomed, and as far as uh, Frodo is concerned, he stays dead a while. But it, for us, the reader, the viewer, whatever, he gets better. Mm -hmm. Yes, he was doomed. He got better. Which I guess you can say happens. Um, I can't remember his name for the life of me. Sean Connery's character in Highlander. I don't know it either. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it's, um, <laughs> it, it's, uh, it's, several, it's several names. Um, I can look he, that up. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's a... Um, he he teaches uh, Chris Lambert, you know, what a Highlander is, et cetera, et cetera. He's eventually killed by the big, bad, ugly guy. And but he does come back in the sequel. And if you're a Highlander fan, you don't like to talk about the sequel because they say, well, they're, they're not these chosen ones. They're aliens. Oh, great. You know, well, that, that's uh, definitely a letdown. But it, it was in similar fashion. OK, Sean Connery got better. Mm -hmm. um, definitely, but you can argue Morpheus in the Matrix. He gets kidnapped, and you think he's a goner. Yes, he's saved. Yes, I, I think uh, the. I think the best thing they did with that was they set it up from the beginning. That that scene with the Oracle, where she tells Neo, "You got a choice: either he's going to die, or you are." Mm -hmm. And when he doesn't die. When Morpheus doesn't die, I should say, you kind of like, uh, crap, Neo's going to die? Mm -hmm. And yeah, he dies, but he gets better. And and it's that coming back from the dead uh, trope. That's also a very prevalent hero's journey. There's so many different, you even have it in religion where yeah. Jesus Christ is sacrificed and then he resurrects three days later. Yes. Happy Easter, everyone. Um, yep. Happy Easter. And yeah, it's, um, yeah, that's, that's, um, it's another trope. You know, I think uh, if anyone listening hasn't read the works of Joseph Campbell, I sincerely, uh, you know, if you're interested in writing or you just like to read a good book, Joseph Campbell basically found the DNA to every good story. And um, he published it in, in several different things. And you can find, you know, uh, easier versions to watch on YouTube. Or, but, yeah, there's there's a line in Marvel Comics um, the thing, Ben Grimm, the, the big rock guy from Fantastic Four, mm -hmm. he, he, he gets killed in one time and then he comes back and somebody says to him, I thought you died. He said, yeah, I got better. Ah, so, mm -hmm. so that's where I get that line from. They die, but they got better. They die, but they got better. That's great. Yeah. yeah. And, I'm sorry. And, go ahead. Uh, but in, in turn, the, the, the do a mentor thing, I think that that um, I first thought of in terms of literature was the Abbe Feria from the Count of Monte Cristo. Do you ever read it? 
Yes, I love that one. Yes. The, uh, yeah. So he is a prisoner in the same jail that our main character is in and yeah. he trains him and then he ultimately dies and the main character switches the, himself out with the body, correct? Yes, he does. But, but even more than that, it was Edmund Dantes is framed, sent to prison in the 1800s, uh, 1815 as, as a Bonapartist. Um, he gets sent there. He's, he's stabbed in the back by a bunch of people. And he has been there for years. He is wallowing in self-despair and thinking of killing himself. And this guy literally tunnels into his cell because he thinks he's getting out, but he made a wrong turn at Albuquerque mm -hmm. and he gets in there. And th this is just, it's not just a him teaching him, you know, how to fix all the wrong that's been done to him. It's giving him a new lease on life. Abbe Feria has been locked up for a couple different reasons. Also for supposedly supporting Napoleon. Um, but he has knowledge of a great treasure somewhere out there and he offers it to try to buy his freedom. They think he's nuts. He uses his time to his advantage. He makes tools. He even writes a book with just stuff he finds laying around in his cell. Yes. Very and, resourceful man. Yeah. And, you know, even he's much older and he teaches Edmund Dante's so many different things, different languages, uh, you know, the quid pro quos and X's and O's of, you know, different politics in the area and that together they work to build a tunnel out of there. And finally, Feria succumbs to old age, but he gives Dante's the location of the treasure. But before that, there's an interesting thing where the, the, together the two are able to surmise who betrayed him and why. And... Feria kind of regrets that because Dante's then becomes transfixed on getting revenge. Mm -hmm. Feria tells him, this is where the treasure is. Use it to rebuild your life. Live happily ever after. Don't focus on this revenge. But Dante's does, find, you know, he does get out. As you said, he poses as his friend's dead body, gets thrown into the ocean, picked up by a fishing vessel. He poses as, a uh, another fisherman whose uh, vessel sank and he's able to find the treasure build himself up and then he he goes on his epic revenge quest um but you know he's he's a, a wonderful doomed mentor in the idea that that i mentioned like he hit rock bottom mm -hmm. he no longer has the ability to complete his journey but not only is he given Edmund Dantes the way to complete his journey, he's also giving him another journey, a better path, that not of revenge, but of rebirth. And that's a big lesson in there. And as much as, as fun as the, the revenge story is and has been told time and again and will be told time and again, um, the lesson people forget is uh, revenge is not worth it. Mm -hmm. That's so I've read that book so many times growing up. It was one of my favorites and it just now dawned on me. You're right. It's Abbe Feria's, you talk about a mentor teaching their, the, the hero, the future hero, the motives needed to take down the villains. But in this case, Abbe Feria wasn't encouraging taking down the villain, but it, they still served as creating that motive because he educated Dantes and taught him um, and, and, investigated why he was put in jail. So ultimately he 
did become that um, that that source of uh, that motivation for him. So speaking of Richard Harris, because Richard Harris played Abe Faria in the in the book or in the movie, yes, um, he... which he's fantastic. Uh, speaking of Richard, he also is Dumbledore in Harry Potter. Yes, another I was okay. I've got to tell you, I, the whole time I was reading the original Harry Potter books, I just saw Dumbledore as that kind of side character that just spouted wise wisdom every now and then. And then when I think it was the Half Blood Prince, uh, when Dumbledore took a front seat, and I was like interesting and then halfway through it i was like oh shit because <laughs> i think a huge indicator of the doom mentor is when you are now made to care about the character in a way that needs so that you are also devastated when you lose the mentor yeah there, there's a there's a number of doomed mentors in the harry potter series and i, I think you're right I, i'm not sure how much i was how much i was focused on Dumbledore and you know becoming a doom mentor I was usually focused on okay defense against the dark art teacher is going to get it how in this one because mm -hmm. uh, I mean those those guys were always one and done yeah uh, don't apply for that job yeah they're, they're not not a lot of security there and then not around long enough to achieve tenure yeah uh, <clears throat> so they um but yeah I kind of sensed you know Dumbledore was his time was coming to an end. Um, I, I don't know if I was the only one. I was kind of getting bored by him. Okay. Until, I think you said Half-Blood Prince, where it's like, okay, he's he's going to have a bigger part to play, but can this happen sooner rather than later? Yeah. Um, well, what I love, too, is in the follow-up books, his character reputation gets dismantled a little, which I think is really interesting for a mentor once they are gone to realize that they are flawed. Yes. It, that's, it's also very important to um, when a, a mentor doomed or otherwise, they have to have flaws. I think uh, not just for the hero, but for the reader as well. Um, there's a lot of times when uh, not just the fictional, but the real life ones you hear about all these, these uh, revered figures from Mahatma Gandhi to Mother Teresa, Princess Diana, whoever you want to name, someone brings up, well, X, Y, Z, they, they were this, they were that, they did this, they did that. And yes, some of them had horrible flaws, but I think that makes them more endearing as figures to look up to because suddenly they're not these marble men or marble women. They're not, these lofty figures that we can only ever fantasize to aspire to their achievements. They're flesh and blood like us. Mm -hmm. They make mistakes. They're, they're human. They're mortal. They, they're not perfect and neither are we. And we can do these things. The not perfect did these things. So, so can we suddenly it's not that far a walk to achieve greatness in your actions. So the idea that Dumbledore uh, definitely had a few mess ups, um, uh, that only adds to him, in my opinion. I know I'm putting you on the spot with this question here, but what would, is there a mentor that you can think of that is particularly flawed? Oof, um, not so much uh, just one as, as uh, a bunch. I mean, from a, from a personal standpoint, um, as, a, as an aspiring writer, um, H.P. Lovecraft 
um, comes to mind. Um, I suffer from anxiety and panic and depression, and I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm getting treatment for that, so I wouldn't be doing this podcast if I wasn't doing so well. Um, but um, H.P. Lovecraft, he went through all that deep depression, um, almost agoraphobic at times, but not only does it was it that, but he was, from his personal correspondence with many, he was xenophobic, racist, um, anti-Semite considered, which um, is very curious because his, uh, his wife was Jewish. Um, so, um, but he was, uh, you know, he was definitely um, had lacked modern sensibilities and many of his uh, personal beliefs um, which uh, I won't repeat here, but you can certainly find online. And yet his imagination was so impressive and his works are so amazing in terms of not just, you know, horror, but in, in proving a path that many people hadn't even considered. It's not, it's not even this, you know, okay, you know, scary, scary guy chasing you with a knife. It's, you know, these old gods coming from the cosmos where just to look at them, your mind would split, mm-hmm. you know, and it, all these wonderful, you know, leave it to the imagination ideas. And they came from this guy who was, you know, as imperfect as imperfect can come. And it's so I, I, th- I think of Lovecraft. I mean, I've also been a big fan of Churchill's and Churchill definitely had some uh, dubious opinions to say the least. Well, maybe being the most functional alcoholic in all history mm-hmm. and, you know, but, but still his, you know, his uh, way with words and, you know, his, his leadership during the second world war, you know, also amazing. But uh, th- those are just the two examples off the top of my head. Are there instances where a mentor can be so flawed that they actually inspire villainy? Um, yes, very, very much so. Um, I think uh, going back to something, um, something we were talking about before with Obi-Wan and Anakin Skywalker. Mm, yeah. Um, Obi-Wan for all his, his capability and encouragement with Luke Skywalker could not, could not quelch Anakin's fear um, or live up to the responsibility that he probably should have in that he had a wife and he shouldn't have had a wife um, as, as far as the, you know, the, the Jedi, you know, uh, responsibility and oath took unless you had under very very special circumstances could you uh could you marry and and have children as a jedi um and he was trying to be his friend and he was trying to do everything he could as a friend but not as a mentor where there's there's a reason for everything as to why the jedi operated like that he did not live up to those responsibilities, which allowed that connection and that fear where Anakin didn't want to lose Padme to be exploited by Palpatine. And you know, Palpatine was able just to take that little bit 
and work with it. And Obi-Wan either just out of denial or just hoping for the best. He, he didn't do what he should have. Do you think looking back at the Jedi Order, at, so what the Jedi Order was in the prequels versus the sequels and, and Luke's disillusionment, do you think that the Jedi, Jedi Order is a little more villainous or systemically problematic if it leads to main characters like uh, Anakin feeling lost and unsupported? Yeah, no, there's there's a whole, you can find a whole uh, library on YouTube of did the Jedi do more harm than good? And I think it's, it's plausible because you had, you know, you had Anakin turning to Darth Vader, you had... Um, you know, Count Dooku turning into, I think, Darth Tyrannus w- w- was his moniker. Um, you know, both former Jedi, both turned to the dark side, both very powerful, very influential Sith Lords who did more bad than good um, for for quite some time. And uh, I think it's it's tricky because I think that's a case of the balance in the Force where if there was too much of the light side, the dark side's going to come back, and then vice versa. Uh, so, so were they were they doing more harm than good? Um, maybe I, I think trying to trying to keep order is always the hard part. Um, achieving achieving it was always easy. Keeping it was hard. Mm-hmm. So, it's definitely a fantasy lifestyle to be able to achieve whatever peace that they're referencing when we're dealing with humans and not just humans, but different alien species that clearly does not seem natural to them. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really tricky not to, not to become, cause you, you want, you want freedom, you want democracy. Uh, but you also don't want to be authoritarian in trying to keep it. And the Jedi were not the best at uh, doing either of both, uh, which you know kind of made you kind of made you wish you know the the Jedi probably would have been better off just kind of fading into the background instead of having this big old temple in the the capital of the galaxy, you know, with uh, you know training kids and stuff like that to carry on the order. Uh, it's you're almost you're almost begging for attention that way and yeah. and and the fact that Jedi weren't really trusted either you know there was kind of a you know head scratching like you know a very sinister mystery to them and all their you know they're there but nobody knows a lot about them yeah to me they seemed like even though they had a philosophy they were treated like guns for hire by the politicians yeah they were um and there was also a case of them trying to stop something before it started in some ways. And some, some of the things I never understood. Um, one of the biggest bones I had to pick with the uh, episode one was the opening crawl. It looks, it, it reads like a, a bill before the house of representatives. Mm, yes. And I'm, I am just, you know, Trade disputes are, are so sexy. <laughs> yes, and I'm just snoring through it, and it's like, 
okay, you have a trade dispute, so you're you're sending a couple of monks with laser swords to talk it out. <laughs> yeah. All right. Good job. <laughs> oh yes. Oh, I could think of. I'm sure. I'm sure we could go on forever about um, some of the political environments of of the prequels. Uh, before I go on to the, my next question, though, do you have any other uh, do mentor examples that you want to go through? Yeah, one that was uh, I was thinking about um, in a couple ways um, was also the idea that that you, somebody's can only teach you the right way by doing the right way, and I, I know that's absolutely not true. Um, Otto von Bismarck said that you know the fool learns from his own mistakes; the wise man learns from other people's. And two names came to mind. One was, one was Walter White. Okay. Um, you know, from episode one, he's going to die. And he takes Jesse under his wing and he does all the wrong things. Not that Jesse does the right things, but in all the wrong things he did, Jesse finally learns that it's not the way to go. Mm. And observing he's, yeah okay and he's very and finally he's able to you know get away from all that and even though he's a broken man maybe there's a little light at the end of the tunnel for him and the other name that came to mind in the similar walter white vein is alonzo harris denzel washington and training day oh okay mm-hmm. and this is a guy who you know when he meets when he meets ethan hawk his whole point is I'm going to set this guy up so I can get a million dollars, pay off the Russians and save my own rear end. And this guy's going to be hamburger meat, but doesn't matter. I'm going to be okay. But he still teaches Ethan Hawke quite a bit about the reality of the situation, the corruption within the system, and that he maybe was once like Ethan Hawke, more of an idealist, truth, justice, the American way. But he found a more grounded system in the corruption and it eventually consumed him. Somebody said to me one time, Alonzo Harris is the closest thing to a Sith Lord in real life, which Mm. I I thought was really interesting. But Ethan Hawke does not give into that. And even though it almost kills him, he says, no, I'm not going to let you do this. I'm not going to die. I'm going to turn you in. And even more so, I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to let you burn for your own actions, which eventually does happen. Ethan Hawke could have, you know, turned Denzel into Swiss cheese at the end there. But he lets him go and the Russians kill him. And Ethan Hawke goes home to his family. Interesting. So this is a case of where the mentor is is a villain. Yes, but he's also doomed. Okay. You know, yes. Yeah. <laughs> which is. Oh, that gets me thinking, too, about just mentors in real life and mentor like mentors of all walks of life. You have mentors that really do mean they, they mean well and you know they're flawed or whatever. And they help raise you up to be a better person. You think of teachers, you know, you think of guardians, parents. But then there's also a dark side, that very dark side you're talking about, where why is this person mentoring this other person a certain way? What is their motive? to manipulate or guide the hero to do what they secretly want done for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's um, yeah. Learning, learning is not always a a positive experience. I, 
I'm a firm believer in our greatest lessons are also connected to our greatest pain. Yeah. Uh, and it's um, as much as, you know, the, the lessons we can, we can learn when we saw Obi-Wan fall from, you know, fall from Vader's saber. We can also learn from watching, you know, Heisenberg, you know, finally drop with his, his hand upon the meth lab. That was his legacy. Mm-hmm. And yes, those guys were, were both doomed from the word go, sadly. But the lessons they leave behind, either in a positive light or a negative one, we're still able to take in. So why do you think there's so much love? Why do we love this doom mentor trope so much? Why do we continue? Even though it's become cliche, we continue to love seeing it. Well, I, this, uh, you know, I, I think there's a lot of reasons behind it. Um, there's the first one that actually came to mind is, and I don't know why exactly we could probably do a whole nother podcast on this. We love villains mm-hmm. as much as I, I'm, I'm a firm believer that any, any good movie in terms of a good guy and a bad guy is going to depend on how bad the bad guy is. Yep. That's true. If, if the villains a pushover or mediocre and you know they're going to get bounced eventually by the hero in a deus ex machina moment. So be it. But if we believe for a minute that maybe the hero's not going to win this one, and if he is or she is, it's not going to be easy or how much is going to be left of them by the time they're done. Now we're interested. Now it's a fair fight. Now you got our attention and our curiosity. So when the mentor is doomed, they usually go down to the, the primary villain. Mm-hmm. So the mentor is established. The, you know, they're usually the wise old guy, the capable guy, the one with the know-how. And here they come across big, bad, evil guy. And there's a showdown and the villain always wins. And for those who are just there to watch the villain and root for the villain for whatever reason, they love that. I think that's one reason that because you, you can't have the hero get whacked by the villain or, you know, and, and that be it. I mean, they, they, they'd get better, obviously, but, you know, then it wouldn't be worth it. Yeah. Someone's got to be the sacrifice. Yes. Yeah. yeah somebody's got to put this this heel over so the baby face can then come back and win the day and raise his arm in victory, the credits roll and you leave happily ever after. Uh, the other thing I, I, I think is that the, um, it would be kind of, I don't want to say disappointing, but it'd be kind of, uh, let's just say disappointing. If the mentor just kind of faded into the background and yeah, you'd wonder where he went or what happened. Yeah, it, it's like, okay, you can have other destinies for the mentor where maybe they can, you know, they can just, you know, walk off into the fog or in the sunset. For instance, uh, I'll call him a mentor per se exactly, but Victor Wong's character in Big Trouble in Little China, the character of Egg Shen, um, he doesn't die. I would have pegged him for a goner. But, you know, he kind of walks off into the fog. You know, the, the bad guy is defeated. Peace at last. 
now he can go on and do what now? Eh, run, run a tour bus. Okay, whatever suits him. But Is that satisfactory for you watching that? I think so. Just just the, to see the mentor be able to enjoy his victory, um, even if it wasn't himself per se who dealt the final blow, the idea that he can finally see the world without this evil he's been fighting or just live a life in peace without, you know, seeing the storm clouds in the distance. That is his destiny. I got to fight this guy or I've got to solve this trouble or what have you. It's, it's satisfactory, but um, I don't, I don't think you could do that every time. I mean, would we have, uh, I mean, how, how would we have felt if, you know, Obi-Wan, you know, just, you know, went back to, to Tatooine and just hung out in the desert. We, yeah, we would have gone home kind of forgetting, uh, not forgetting, but it wouldn't hit us as hard as knowing Obi-Wan's died. Yeah. And carry that emotional weight with us. Yeah. Or, you know, I mean, Gandalf gets a little bit of a pass because, yeah, he gets better, but then he kind of goes off into retirement with all the magical folks, um, including the hero. So that's, that's kind of a piecemeal thing. Well, I think about when it comes to Gandalf, what gets the most memes? What has the most internet uh, internet um, immortality? It's all the memes about him facing the Balrog and falling into the, yes. the pit. Where you don't see so much the happy ending. It, we, we, we really like to see that conflict and that loss. Yeah, we, yeah, we, we, do, we do like that. Um, it's, um, it, it's... I'll give you another example I was going to bring up, but... It's more of a roundabout way. Um, Apollo Creed. Uh, after uh, Mickey dies in Rocky Three, he kind of succeeds him as the new mentor. The old enemy becomes ally trope, and he mentors Rocky into getting back that eye of the tiger, winning the belt. And later on in the fourth one, when he goes up against Ivan Drago, he dies in the ring because that's what he wanted to. He didn't want to fade into retirement or open up a gym or do whatever. He wanted to go down a fighter. Mm, so he's kind of sacrifice. Yeah. Even if he, it meant him dying. Yes. Is he a, is he a doomed mentor in a roundabout way? Yes. Mm-hmm. That, 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 that arc of his character is, um, I don't think we would have, uh, I mean, it's, you know, kind of an inside joke, but I mean, if he was in another movie training Adam Sandler how to box in a different version of Happy Gilmore, um, I, I don't think we would have felt the same. Okay, so then how can we evolve the doomed mentor trope, or how are people currently evolving the mentor trope so that it feels fresh? Here's what I would, I, I gave this some thought, and one of the things, um, I thought of was the mentor is always presented as the mentor. Okay. Here he is. Wise old guy, you know, wise old lady. Here's the way, here's how to do the thing. Here's the, the summons to the quest, go forth hero and go upon your merry way. Now smarter and stronger. And, um, they go and, you know, oh, no, I've been killed. Well, yeah, I saw that coming. But 
honestly, what if you painted the mentor from the beginning as the hero and you go through their journey and maybe they got plucky sidekick, uh, a, a kid, um, you know, or perhaps even their own child or just somebody you wouldn't expect and really have no, uh, you really have no interest in other than that. They're somewhat important to the plot. And you think you're following the hero this whole time. Who's teaching the plucky sidekick how to, how to fight or how to defend themselves or, you know, just, you know, how to be a decent human being, what have you. And suddenly the hero gets killed. And now, you're stuck with the sidekick who now must take the big step forward and become the hero. And you're going, Oh my God, I was following the doom mentor the whole time. Mm, yeah. Um, I was, I was kind of thinking like, you know, it, obviously this, this isn't going to happen, but if, uh, did you, did you watch the, uh, the miniseries, the Witcher? Yes. Yeah. I was thinking, what if Henry Cavill got killed and we were suddenly forced to follow the bard around? Oh, uh that would or especially after the second season the daughter yeah i was like i feel like we're we're getting set up for she's gonna be the new hero but yeah i see what you mean yeah well yeah i could i could kind of see that too but just something completely out of left field um yeah I, i think the only reason the mentor is doomed is because they die at the end and if they didn't die at the end then they'd just be a mentor yeah. Well, I, I think about Giles and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. He survived all the seasons and people are like, he subverted the expectation. And then I guess in the season eight comic book that they made mm-hmm. afterwards, they killed him off there. Yeah. Um, it's, um, <laughs> it's, it's tricky. Um, also, yeah. You know, it's funny you mentioned different mediums, a, a name that came to mind, um, but I didn't include because it's different in the book than it is in the movie, but Dick Halloran in The Shining. Mm-hmm. In the movie, he gets killed. In the book, he gets his jaw broken, but he survives. Which do you think is more effective? Um, honestly, it's, I hate to say it, it's, it's two stories under one title. Okay. Um, in the movie, it's more effective because it, it had to happen. A, a little bit it'd be kind of uh, it'd be kind of awkward the way they set it up in the movie um but in the book it makes a lot more sense but it's I, I like the book a little bit better that way um because it's not yeah I, I hate to branch off but in the movie you you already look at jack nicholson as jack torrance and you're going i wouldn't trust this guy to run a bath and you want him to run the hotel in the winter. Um, and then in the book, the no, they don't trust him, but you get the sense that he's a decent man. He's just troubled. Okay. And that's hammered home more so, especially at the end there when he does effectively sacrifice himself um, in a manner of speaking. But in, in terms of just the, the, the doom mentor thing, it, it can work under under certain circumstances whereas if if they do survive you still feel kind of good but if as long as the story ends there's not that awkward fading into the background Mm -hmm. well and i feel like the doomed mentor trope is fitting 
for younger audiences because it's very symbolic of, you know, coming of age, adulthood, breaking out into the real world without, you know, your guardian or parent or whoever guiding you through the world. And it kind of gives them that, that real sense of, um, I get not, I don't know if the risk is the right word, but, um, it's that impending thing that's coming up and it kind of prepares them for it. But once you become an adult, looking at what all the different ways that mentorships appear to you in real life, um, do you see like a difference in how we have mentors for like kids versus mentors for adults? I do. Um, I think what you said is, is very true. Um, however, uh, something I was thinking about, um, even, even before, uh, we talked was, um, you get the doom mentor trope, but, and that's, and that's very important for kids because eventually you're going to have to, you're going to have to become your own man, your own woman, an adult. You're going to have to take charge of the challenges you face and go on that journey, whether, you know, it's, you know, a real epic quest across oceans or just trying to go to the grocery store on a Sunday. It's, it's a whole thing uh, before you that you're going to have to face and you're going to get good at it. You're going to get stronger because you learn um, from mentors or, you know, by experience, but there's also a downside because while there is the doom mentor, there's suddenly this expectation that the hero is now invincible because they got plot armor. Mm, okay. If the mentor is doomed, well, the, 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 guy, the guy or the girl they were, uh, they were teaching, they're going to be okay. And I feel that's an unrealistic expectation for you and me just trying to cross the street in a world of crazy drivers. Yeah. And it's, it's a good lesson to learn. And one of the ways you could turn that kind of on its head is, yeah, the mentor dies, but what if the hero doesn't win? I would love to see that. Can you think of any examples like that? Oof. Um, it'd, be, it'd be kind of a tragedy. <laughs> yeah, it's, no, it's, 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 it's a tragedy. Uh, no, I mean, off the top of my head, um, it's, I mean, there's, the, the one that comes to mind is, um, is the omen where I, I forget the guy's name who gives Gregory Peck the, the seven daggers and says, your son's not your son. He was born of a jackal. He's the Antichrist. Here's some knives. Go kill him. And Gregory Peck, who's already been through some weird stuff, is at the point of believing this. And he's about to do the deed, and he gets he gets killed by the cops, and he fails. Now, is that a a, men, a doomed mentor? I mean, that mentor gets killed in the in the prologue of the second movie, so. I guess he kind of fit the doomed mentor thing, but that's, that's the only example I can come up with initially. Um, but it makes it, sense that it would come from the horror genre because yeah. so many times where failure is the ending. Yeah. Uh, there, yeah. There's, there's definitely, um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's definitely not, uh, you know, sunshine and rainbows ending there. <laughs> um, but it, it would also turn the genre on its head a little bit too. It would. So knowing what you know about mentors, would you ever want to be a mentor to someone in the fiction universe, knowing what the possible consequences are? 
Uh, yes. Okay. Um, I think uh, I, I think it's pl- playing a part. Uh, I think we all want to be the main character, have plot armor, save the day, get the girl, restore peace to the surroundings, and you know, fade off into the sunset. Blah 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 blah. It all sounds good, and you know, ideally, may everyone experience that. But if I get to be the one who helps out somebody along the way, and I, I hate to sound like I crave martyrdom or something like that. If that's my part to play, um, it's a lot better than, you know, henchman number 45 who, you know, gets killed by the hero with a quick sword move and you never hear about yeah. it. Yet. <laughs> um, it's, it, it's an important role to play. And, you know, as, even not even the, in the fictional universe, but if I could, if I had an influence on somebody's life, and later they went on to do good things, and I got to be a little bit a part of that. And some of the wisdom I may have imparted played a big role in their lives, and, which is, fingers crossed, something I'm hoping one of my books will do. Hope, hopefully coming to a, a Kindle or a bookshelf mm-hmm. near you. Um, it, then I would think every, my entire life was worth it. Well, I think that says a lot about you as a person in real life as well. The roles that we play to help others whether we decide we want to mentor others or no, no, I don't want to mentor anyone else. I am the center of the universe. Uh, that's an extreme alternate uh, perspective, obviously, but I yeah. think that's well, a lot about you as a person as well. I appreciate it. I mean, I know a lot of people, they are the main character, the center of their own universe. And that, that universe consists of a amazing call of duty lifetime score and a cat. Well, it's a great universe there, pal, and you're the center of it. Congratulations. So who would you say are your mentors? Ooh, that is an excellent question. Um, um, I read a lot of philosophy. Um, I get some good chunks of knowledge here and there. Um, most of the classic ones come to mind. I had a few... English teachers, um, one who actually just passed away this year at the relatively young age of, I think he was in his late fifties. Um, but they were the first teachers that didn't feel like they were, you know, opening up a book, pouring you, you know, some grape nuts and saying, here, learn this. They, they kind of kindled the imagination that who you are is wonderful and anything is possible if you think about it, if you work hard. And also, more importantly, there are consequences for your actions and your inactions as well. Um, I, I, used, I used to call them Keatings. Um, after Robin Williams' character in Dead Poets Society, you know, we, we all need more Keatings in the world. Yeah. Um, and it's, um, you know, those guys come by, and they were usually... They were usually always English teachers and just the, the ones who gave you not only the layout, the map of possibilities being almost endless, but giving you the freedom to say, I want to do this, or I want to write about that, or I want to read this book. It wasn't just showing you the world, but it also gave you a sense of independence and it gave you a sense of, of real power 
and control over your life. And I think most, most of the teachers I had, I'm, I'm sorry to say, but it, they, they weren't so much about teaching as forcing you to learn things and act in a certain way and a controlled education of certain things and repetition and you didn't feel like you you just you were forced to regurgitate things learn this repeat move on learn this repeat move on that that wasn't you it was just words on a page that you were forced to absorb and then write down again and that that didn't appeal to me as a person or anything like that but if you can if you can show somebody uh, the stars, uh, you know, suddenly you're not focusing on the dirt you're stuck in anymore. Knowing your mentors, we talk, so let's summarize what we talked about today. We went over what the mentor, the doomed mentor trope is, what it typically looks like, examples, how it can be subverted. Um, is there anything else that you would like to say on the topic? The idea that the this isn't a way of turning it on its head, but it's, it's a different way of presenting it. The mentor doesn't have to be, um, doesn't have to be a physical embodiment. Um, Obi-Wan doesn't have to show up and say, hello there. Mo you know, Morpheus doesn't have to hand you pills. It can be, it can be some ancient tomes. It can be just, you know, just uh, finding, just finding something in the dirt, not even just pulling the, the, the sword from the stone like your King Arthur or something, but there can be guides along the way that are inorganic and learning along your own way. I think there, there, there's, there's chances to learn all around you. Speculative Sandbox is a volunteer-run podcast that relies on the collaboration of fellow creators like you. Join the conversation and participate in fun polls and questionnaires on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. Interested in being in a future episode? Our DMs are open, or you can email speculativesandbox at gmail.com.